Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. A unique in-studio experience today. We always talk about the trillion-dollar business of sports, but frankly, I do it from afar, and it is exciting, exhilarating, and maybe even more to talk to the worldwide digital editor of Reuters, Dan Colarusso, within three feet of each other. Hello. It's amazing. I, 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 you can hit me from this distance. So I'll have yes. to be nicer to you this Remind week. Remind me. But, but, yeah, we should have simulcasts this. We should have cameras in here, all, uh, all like over Mike the and world. Mike, right? Mike, Mike uh, and Mike, yeah, Rick, and, yeah, Rick yeah. and Dan. That's what um, we need. But it's good to have you in studio, and it's good to have a face-to-face conversation. It's, we, we it's will very do this, human, right? We, we will do this at least once a month to the extent that you will, for the first time in a long time, actually pay for lunch. But that, right. of course, didn't uh, that, that will be. You'll have to wait for that yes, one. Yes, I understand that. But the one thing we're not going to wait for, by the way, risk of a little trite is, you know, you hear about the NFL never sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's two weeks ago when Brady's amazing comeback, and now we're talking about a $10 million economic impact of the 31st year in a row where the combine is actually going to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis mm-hmm. this weekend. So this is one of those rotating events that is not rotating. It's staying in Indianapolis. The Pro Bowl goes to different cities. The draft goes to different cities. Super Bowl, obviously. Combine loves Indianapolis, Indianapolis. I love it. I I love the Combine because it's a total for a football junkie. It is your fix. It is your post-Super Bowl pre-draft fix. And it's so much fun. The fact that they televise it, it, it's almost like watching, I don't know, warm-ups for the Winter Classic. You know, it's a totally derivative, tangential thing, crucially important. Economically, but they've turned it into an event, and it's it's kind of fun to it's fun to watch, and it's it's fun to see on ESPN. It's it's a guess. The NFL has actually offered premium tickets for people, and we covered this a mm. couple of years ago, where you sit up there in Lucas Oil Stadium, and the coaches don't like it because they want this special secret sauce interview that yeah. nobody else has. But the fans have packages; they can buy suites to watch the players actually do the hurdles and do the shuttle yeah. run. I mean, if you look at the co- the combination of like college football junkies. Right and pro football crazies like you'll go out if you're an Alabama fan and you have six guys or eight guys at the combine, it's great. That's like you know. Did you ever go? Have you? I do. I used to do it when I was younger. But do you ever go to like football training camp? Oh yeah, all oh, the you time. probably do. Right? I did it, I do and did when right. I was younger. It and is, it's like it's like spring training. We'll is, do a lot of that next week. But it's the same kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. It's it's, yeah. it's a it's a pure sports experience. It's it's almost old school. Yeah, uh, and it's it's fun. But the combine is important now, right? Well, I mean, let's get incredible. into the real the yeah. real importance of the combine now is that if if you're picking stocks, um, if you're if you're an NFL GM and you want to liken it to picking stocks, you need immediate winners. Like you need your first three rounds to get on the field. Like, there's not a lot of room for projects anymore just because of the economic balancing. You see it now as players go through, as they start to put the franchise tag on players, some of the teams, and start to negotiate, and the free agent season has started. You need that great young player or two to plug the holes for you and get that that, that amortization of cost out of your way, right? Well put in the amortization context. But it is kind of interesting because there are two different ways to go with this one. The one is that, remember, in this collective bargaining agreement, Mm -hmm. the rookie salary cap is much lower so the mistakes actually don't cost you as much as they used to. But on it's, the other hand, everybody now requires you to win today, not three years Right. Ago. I mean, the mistakes don't cost you, but 
your other you can't make yeah. other mistakes in free agency, right? right? And then so that's a big deal because the free agents are so expensive. So it's not a matter of your draft picks being mistakes; it's a matter of them getting on the field and playing well right away. Right. And the um, other thing is, a lot of the players now are being asked by their agents through the owners to say, take a cut by restructuring your contract. What the restructuring really means is to take the guaranteed piece mm. and spread it out over a different time. Right. So it's a different kind of cap. But the bottom line is you only do that is if you're one position or one kind of player away and you can guarantee right. some kind of success over time. And why is that important? It's because if you don't draft well, that argument doesn't make any sense. Right, because you're never the one player right. away. That's you're exactly constantly in right. that rebuilding mode. And you've seen it, you know, you've seen it around the league this year. I mean, in New York, we saw a beloved player, Victor Cruz, jettisoned, and right. he, had he had gotten hurt, restructured last year, and when it came time, they didn't even want to restructure him again. And they figured, well, let's, we've had some luck in the draft of wide receivers. We need that capital. We need to put that dry powder. In the era of political correctness, it is amazing what goes on in those interview rooms. Apparently, the agents say that the general manager types try to trip the athlete up mm -hmm. by asking a few questions, then ask the standard, do you beat your wife question. And in this right. context, it's really, really important. And the agents prepare these guys. So it is the jousting that goes on in the interview room is almost as important as the jousting that goes on in the field. Really I would like, if you can, use your many connections to, to give me the Giants psychological test, because I understand that's supposed to be like the, the, the gold standard of like psychological tests they give. I would love to take that to see where if I would make it on my favorite team. I think what it is is it's a cutout logo of a Joe Pisarczyk fumble. I think. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I still have that wound. It still, still hasn't healed, but okay. Well, we're twisting the knife, okay. ladies and gentlemen, okay. and moving on. Jersey Joe to, Yeah, exactly. And who was he handing it off to? Larry Zonka. Very well done. Who, exactly. who recovered the fumble? Herman Edwards. Herman Edwards. That's right. right there we go. For, by the way, Giants fans, you've already you know tuned off to the podcast, so that's yeah. okay. Let's talk about stadiums. So San Diego has f almost forgotten the Vagabond Chargers. They're moving up the road. They're dealing with the new stadium called the City of Champions Stadium, $3.5 billion. It'll open maybe for the Olympics and the Chargers and the Rams. Another story for another day. But what does San Diego do? They turn around and offer an ability to have a 30,000-seat or so soccer stadium getting off up, up, up off the mat, as it were, right. and then including San Diego State in the great. whole thing. What's uh, your look, take? Look, I think it's great. I think, again, I think MLS starting to, to the footprint is starting to mean something on the American, you know, financial sports financial landscape and I think the idea that you do that in Southern California another slice of Southern California you have a great population mix great demographic for soccer much like we have in New York and New Jersey on the East Coast and I think the fact that soccer has become the affluent spectator yeah. sport on one hand and still a sport of immigrants and new arrivals to America uh, I think it's I think it's a great move for San Diego I'm a, I'm a big fan of that move and you know, we, you and I talk a lot about value right. when, you're buy, when you're spending money on sports, whether it's franchise or rights deal, whatever. I think this is a great value for them compared to what they would have had to pay to keep the Chargers. Well, and that, that's an interesting concept because you also make the point about how important soccer has become. Don Garber, the MLS guy, is now coordinating an expansion process that might have up to four teams new beyond today, but 16 applicants, which means you're going to drive the price up and it's a zero-sum game and everybody's excited about it. But when you look at what these developers are proposing, it's a billion-dollar soccer city project, what they call it, mm -hmm. nearly 5,000 homes, 3 million square feet of office space, 55 acres of parks, a lot of Qualcomm Stadium history, but the Chargers are gone. So you'd have never heard that kind of development opportunity right associated with the soccer stadium before, but the San Diego has nothing else. Right, but that's irrelevant. Right, right. The, the sport is to some degree irrelevant. Right. And the fact that, it's a, that you're drawing in 
uh, a, a, a you know, a whole different demographic crowd, possibly, um, that's not just going to come on Sundays. Um, that's going to be, uh, you know, a different mix. And I think that you have the ability to do that kind of cross-platform development, much like Ratner did around the arena in Brooklyn, much Barclays. like, you know, much like uh, Cleveland did around this stadium. It's, it, I don't, I think it's a, it makes perfect sense. If you're going to partner with the municipality to be in the sports business, right. it makes sense to bring other assets into the mix. And, and broadly define football stadiums other than this tremendous awareness mm. and the thought of having a Super Bowl every four or five years. And it's heresy for me because I worked for the NFL for a long time. Really don't have as much economic impact as other stadiums. Why? Well, it's 10 home games a year plus some other ancillary events. The arenas have 80 home games a year times two. And the baseball stadium has, you know, 80. So you really got it. There's uh, not a ton of value in there. I mean, there's a ton of, like, long-term brand identity, like real estate footprint value. But there's not that great dynamic value that, you know. I find it really interesting, and let the record reflect, and we should probably get it and rack it up, that uh, Dan Calarusso has become a soccer apologist and enthusiast. Years ago, you we should get some of the old stuff about how you feel about <laughs> soccer. Well, I, I like the sound of cash registers ringing around my sports, and yeah. that's, I think MLS is getting there. Now we're going to talk about another sport, which may even be weirder. What do you know about esports? Nothing. Good. All right. Well, uh, I, I, I know that it exists, <laughs> and I know that people far younger than me consider it a sport. Far younger um, than uh, I, I don't. I've never played. I have no feelings. Right. Well, you played, but you played in a bar when you drop like a quarter into a machine and you yeah, see. Yeah, in a pizzeria, right, yeah. right in Brooklyn but back in not, 1978. But, but you're not representing a city, and you're not one of the 35 million mm. people who are hooked on this. Now, Millennial Esports set to open a 15,000-square-foot esports arena. Where? Of course, in Vegas. Uh, a 200-seat arena, stadium-style seating, main room for 500 people. You know what it sounds like to me? It's like that those new high-end bowling alleys and movie theaters where you do everything with yeah, special food yeah, service and all right, that. Right, but right. now it's esports. And the bottom line is, of course, merchandise where fans can buy stuff, concession stands where right. fans can eat stuff. And, of course, cynics predicted that esports would be ancient history. But now we got these arenas. we got these stadiums. And you know nothing about it. I know nothing about the sport. But you know what I do know, Rick? I know Money. the human heart. <laughs> and I, and I, I will tell you that, they're, they're, that you know this is a community um, if you look at um, some of the companies, the media companies yeah. that evolved around this, this is a community that wants to be together. And it's a very strong fabric, um, whether it's a, a virtual relationship or now building like real actual events around these things. There's a, there's a kindred uh, nature to it and there's a fanaticism around it. And that's, you know, it's not, it's not any different than college football. Real sports is no less artificial or contrived than esports, right? Right. So, so it's more about the community. It's more about being around like-minded, crazy people. Um, but yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're crazy for a different Emphasis thing. on crazy people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's the, as you said, the social fabric. And I, I find it again interesting that as we go through Colarusso's discussion about the human condition, <laughs> that his one opportunity to talk about the human heart relates to the development of esports, which <laughs> is a little bit attenuated, well, but I guess I guess we have to deal look, with it. Esports is a com if you can combine <laughs> Hollywood and yeah. the NFL into one thing. That's fair. You have esports and, and and that's kind of that's kind of a nice economic equation too. Yeah. Absent it, the human heart, of course. No, the yeah. uh, absent the human heart, but listen, they've got LED video wall, mm -hmm. theater lighting, and this sounds like a again cash register, a franchise for cities mm -hmm. to follow their team. 
And a little uh, uh, shameless plug, we're going to do the MIT Sloan Conference, and one of the people who has driven eSports is going to be one of our subjects, which oh, that's I fantastic. can't wait. I can't wait to, yeah, to yeah. hear about how that person thinks this is going to be a sport over the next few years. Look, is it going to be a 100,000? See, it's not going to be a Michigan no. football, right? Right. But it's a nice niche, and again, there's value to squeeze out of it, and you don't, you know, you guys don't get hurt. What do you get, carpal tunnel? Carpal tunnel. Like, do, do you, is it like you need an insurance policy for you guys to take a carpal tunnel? Carpal tunnel yeah, yeah, yeah. and apparently... No concussion problems. Cataract. No ACL. Cataract. Cataracts. Yeah, Cataracts yeah. and carpal tunnel. Well, that can be so fixed here, Yeah, they can, it, all, it can all be fixed. There's, <laughs> there's more cash register. And in the Who to Thunk It department, just a little bit of a parenthetical before we get into the interview. So Major League Baseball is now joining the bandwagon. They have found themselves a new streaming partner in Facebook. You remember... Twitter's deal with the NFL right, and right. now NFL with Facebook and what they're and, doing and is they're Yahoo is well, Yahoo right? significant yeah. rights yeah. fees but what we're seeing is that like the MLB deal Facebook's live streaming of Liga MX matches global basketball games and table tennis by the way so live streaming of table tennis on Facebook now we know we've arrived well you could you could actually it's probably the only place you could economically broadcast table tennis to right. an audience of that size or lack thereof. Right, on that no. little phone. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think it's interesting. I think Facebook wants video. Right. Facebook wants must-see video. Um, that's the game now, right? Uh, so in that realm, this is a, a really smart deal to make. There are a lot of baseball games out there, so you can pick, you know, pick spots, and there's some that are less valuable than others, and you know, the league probably doesn't mind cutting Facebook in on some of the rights. Uh, I think it's, I think, you know, if Facebook, we don't know whether Facebook wants to be a TV channel or a cable carrier. Right. Right? Right. Um, so they want to be Comcast or they want to be ESPN. My idea is that it probably wants to be more like Comcast and as if we needed another reason to go to Facebook. Right. right. America's, you know, you're highly, uh, you know, connected to Facebook via your political arguments, your old sweethearts, your, your buddies who you haven't seen or who live, moved across the country. Um, you want all that. Now you can watch baseball. Yeah. Well, I, I'll ne never need anything else except Facebook, right, for an older audience. Right. Um, it'll be interesting with Snapchat raising all this money. They're going into the public markets this week. And do they get more into the game than simply being weekly highlights? Do they then bid on something weirdly live? Do they then create more derivative products out of it? It'll be interesting to see because now they have fresh cash and they have to buy content or they have to buy, use that money for something to draw people in that they can't get in other places. So years ago, if, we, if you were to tell me that DirecTV would be a bidder against the NBCs of the world mm -hmm. for NFL games, you're nuts. Now, the next bidding cycle for all of these sports, is it going to be the traditionals and then a separate category or the same category with Amazon, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, Yahoo? If you look at the capital that these companies will right. have and how they don't spend money on other programming, if Amazon has Woody Allen making films, why can't Facebook have NFL rights? Right. And, and, and really good comment because the real key and big difference used to be ultimate reality, you know, you're not going to archive it. You got to know what the score is. And all of these companies have the ability to it's all fixed. do it live. It's all yeah, fixed. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. And so here's the interesting dynamic PricewaterhouseCoopers says that the sports media rights market in North America alone, about $20 billion. Interesting stat. In the U.S., consumer spending on video streaming, about $6.6 .6 billion in 2016, 22% increase over last year. This is your wheelhouse. And so, where is the distinction between video and television? 
The answer is there. We don't know where that is, right? Well, I, I, mean, I, don't, I think it's it's somewhat disappearing, and I think the fragmentation, the same fragmentation you've seen in maybe the news business, the same fragmentation you've seen in how you watch television and how you get entertainment. Do I watch it on Amazon Prime? Do I watch it on Netflix? Do I watch it on Apple TV? I think that same fragmentation is about to land squarely on the sports business. Well, and it's a perfect across the world, actually, not just in the U.S. I think the global market's probably bigger. And that really ties into our interview this week because the whole dynamic between digital and television is being blurred. New Lion, the international company, digital and consumer media rights holder, not only in North America, but 32% international. Chris Wagner, the co-founder of New Lion, talks about everything digital, including the rights that they have with the NBA, NFL, NCAA, Univision, Sky, Tennis Channel, and otherwise, and what the distinctions are today and in the future between digital, television, and where things are going. Great honor to be joined by Chris Wagner, the co-founder of New Line, building a global footprint in the digital video broadcasting and distribution world in the sports and media industries we understand, and it is diverse. You're one of the initial pioneers that co-founded the entity, but realized that the distinction between television and other mediums is really more blurry than people thought. When did you first have that epiphany, and how did you act on it? Well, we started New Line in 2004, and uh, the thesis of the company was how can we change the experience for consumers, we're, you know, we're techies, so we're we're a technology service company. When we started the company, we're a group of techies that really thought the internet could be a way of changing the experience for viewers. We started with video. Uh, we actually started with Islanders TV. My partner uh, owned the New York Islanders Hockey Club, and uh, we wanted to create an experience for Islanders fans that was different than television and was always on. So if you were a diehard Islanders fan, you could always see morning skate or you could talk to a player through the Internet, essentially always be connected. And that's that's how we got started. That was back in 2004, and uh, lo and behold, here we are and did uh, 63,000 live events last year. So every year it just gets bigger. All right, you got 30 seconds to describe each of the 63,000. Go. <laughs> it's a lot of sports, and if you're an NFL fan, an NBA fan, or a UFC fan, watching it on a connected device is totally different than television. It's very interactive. It's seamless across any kind of screen you have in front of you, uh, and it allows you to experience those sports very differently than what you might be used to on your cable set-top box. So you mentioned your kids kind of know what I'm saying, but we've seen you know fans gravitate to Internet-connected devices just more fun. There's more you can do with sports. So the first world was breakthrough and be noticed and understand the courage of your vertically integrated convictions. The next world was to identify the synergies between content and your backbone, I guess is a way to put it, which is the technology side of this and your licensing deals with many more of the NFL, NBA, NCAA, etc., 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 70% of the total revenues in 2015. What's the mix now? Is it the backbone and the content equal, or where are you going? Well, we have three products. The first product you're talking about that 
generate 70% of the company's revenue is a new line digital platform. And we work with people that own content rights. So NFL, we built a product for them called NFL Game Pass. So if you're interested in watching live NFL games, two TV channels, which is Red Zone and the NFL Network, uh, you want live stats, you want to be able to go into the archive and rewatch this past Super Bowl over and over again, uh, you can get that as a subscription. So a fan would find that product on NFL.com. They would uh, click and sign up and use their credit card to buy uh, a service called NFL Game Pass. And that complete service is powered by New Lions. So we take all of the live game feeds right from the sports networks like Fox and others. We put them in all the right formats so you can watch it in HD or even 4K uh, on an Internet device. Uh, then we help the NFL run their whole back office, so uh, the ability to collect, uh, charge consumers, uh, package content, price content, make it available in 180 different countries around the world. We do that for them. And then we build all the apps, so the apps that you would find on a phone or on an Apple TV or on a smart television, also done by the New Line Digital Platform. So that's our, that's our big product. We also license to consumer electronic companies like Sony and LG a little 4K software player that they embed on their TV set. So when you buy a new Ultra HD TV from Best Buy or any retailer, everybody's buying Ultra HD TVs now. To do live streaming of 4K sports, which is four times HD, twice the frame rate, I mean, it's stunning. You feel like you're inside the arena. Our platform and our player on the set work together. That's our second product. And then the third product is just a, a group of technologies we license to help people with video compression like Adobe and Microsoft and Apple. So as they look for ways to uh, compress video and use the Internet to transport it, they license our tech for that. Those are our three products. <laughs> and, and three pretty substantial products. And I guess from a business show perspective that is international, here's the business case 101 question that I've got. You mentioned all of those companies, and just the list is uh, just beginning all of the leagues like the NFL and NBA and NCAA and UFC, etc., Tennis Channel, but then you got Samsung and Sony and LG and Panasonic and Sharp, and then the other side of it, the Apple, Microsoft, and Dolby. How do you develop product that is agnostic enough where companies don't, after the first meeting, try to eat you up? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, it gets a the answer gets a little techie, but, you know, if you think about Star Trek, right, and how you you know Scotty would beam somebody up from the bridge down to a planet. We've 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 been able to create a video technology that can compress video, break it up into all those little pieces, like my Star Trek analogy. Push it over the public internet and then reconstruct it on your phone, your computer, or on your TV, and do it in stunning quality. Uh, so it's it's less expensive to transport it over the internet, and the quality level again, it's better than cable or satellite. So that's one technology that's been the backbone of New Lion. And then we've, we've built things around it, how you would monetize the content. You talked at the beginning about the expanding cost of media rights, certainly sports rights. I think the cost of sports rights is exceeded, according to PricewaterhouseCooper, the amount of tickets that get sold in an arena now. If you add up all the ticket sales, it's actually less than what media rights are. So how you monetize those media rights, connect with fans, get them to see commercials, see ads, subscribe with their credit card, buy a digital ticket online like we do with the uh, UFC, the video quality, then that merchandising, uh, you know, are two really key 
that we've been able to differentiate in the market. And that's the other piece, clearly, is that you mentioned the Price Waterhouse study, $20 billion, probably understated. But to go even further than that, about $6.5 billion in 16 was video streaming, a 22% increase over last year. When do we blur the numbers where it's 50-50 and even more? First of all, when do the lines cross? And then B, when do we have a common measuring system that will take a game or an event and uh, measure everybody that's watching in every way so advertisers can figure what the real value is? No, it's a great question. You know, you have the Nielsen rating system that uh, is working to uh, take ratings on television and combine it with ratings on digital audiences, so they're actively pursuing it. Uh, you have companies like Adobe, Comscore, Google Analytics that are trying similar things. But it's a, it's a great question. How do you aggregate all that viewing time? Because even we've seen you know lots of stuff in the news lately about our people watching less sports. Uh, on television, and I think the answer is they're not watching less sports, they're just watching it on more different kind of devices, so the audience is spreading out. So how do you aggregate that audience both on digital and broadcast so that you can monetize it with an advertiser? So there's there's some work being done there by the companies I've mentioned. From New Line's standpoint, it actually gets very, very specific and very pinpointed because we we have all the watch data. So we know what people watch, what devices they prefer, what programs they like to watch more of, how long they watch those programs. And that data becomes invaluable to companies like UFC and others because they can use the data to really focus in on how do I find more subscribers, how do I uh, use that data to make sure I don't lose the ones that I've got. So in the subscription business, it gets very analytical around lifetime value and you know managing churn. In the advertising business, like the point of your question, it's about how you know do I mass up all the audiences between TV and digital. I think that's coming. When? Uh, I don't have a good answer for you on when. I do know that we've just reached certification with uh, Nielsen, so all of our streaming encoders are now certified by Nielsen. So. Nielsen has done some good work in uh, being able to use their watermarking so that they can uh, match up audiences, whether you're on a smartphone or watching it through your cable set-top box. So and they've always been you know, a leader in that uh, space on the broadcast side. So it's happening now. Univision is another customer of ours. They're the fifth largest network in the United States. We do all their sports, entertainment, and news. They're a big Nielsen fan. They also want to be able to aggregate broadcast digital audiences into one. Uh, and again, this certification we have in Nielsen helps them do that. Well, you know, friends like Mark Lazarus and others who are, uh, Sean McManus, who are at the front end of the quote-unquote television side, but transitioning to digital as well, um, want this to happen sooner than, than later, as we know. And I guess part of the question is, when I say when, it's not just when is the technology available, but when is it valid enough where Madison Avenue decides to quantify and give credit so the advertising dollars really reflect the eyeballs. No, that's true, and I think there's a struggle also on the sales side on how you value that digital audience, you know, the, 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 the price you pay um, for advertising on digital, and how does that compare with the price that an advertiser may pay on broadcast television. But, I mean, you've seen some, some non-broadcast companies with media rights like Netflix, Hulu, 
uh, you know, a lot of New Lions customers, like some of the ones that I've mentioned, uh, really see an opportunity to connect directly with the consumer around a subscription model. So the subscription business is a big business. Uh, if you look at the over-the-top subscription number uh, worldwide by 2019, it's going to be a $100 billion business. Uh, so focusing on activating the subscriber is something that you can do now. So I, I don't discount the advertising business. You're right, the big networks have to figure that out. But a lot of these enthusiast networks that we have, like Professional Bowling or World Surf or Tennis Channel Plus or the Big Ten Network, right, are finding money, connecting directly with their enthusiasts through these OTT services, and that's a monthly subscription. And I guess long-term future of the industry, which nobody can predict, but you can maybe give some trends, what happens to the argument that sports is the ultimate reality television because nobody knows what the score is? If you go to sleep in the second half of the Super Bowl, you can testify to that. But the fact that you're service allows prolific archiving so people can watch it over time. Does that diminish or increase the value of this to advertisers and otherwise? I don't think it diminishes it, but I think sports is probably the last appointment you're going to keep. I think the trends that we see, certainly with younger people, is all the programming is moving you know, more on demand. Appointment television is kind of going away, so you watch things on the screen you have in front of you, and you watch things whenever you want to watch them. So on-demand programming has also created uh, an audience that's spreading out. Sports is different. You know, to your point, you really don't want to know the score if you're following your favorite team. So you show up for the live event because it's only going to happen once. We see a big drop-off on usage after the live event in terms of you know uh, game replays and archives. We do a neat thing for the NFL called uh, Snap to Whistle. So on Monday morning, you can go back to all the Sunday games and watch those games in 30 minutes. So we actually collapse the game, and we take out every huddle, every penalty, every stop it should play. So it's snap, whistle, snap, whistle, snap, whistle. Uh, so if you're a Redskins fan like me and you're in New York market and you couldn't watch it, Monday I can watch it in 30, you know, 30 minutes. Even though I know the score, uh, we just change the way we deliver it. So that's the reason why sports rights are so expensive, because it is the last appointment you're going to keep. And uh, watching it live is much preferred than watching it replayed. And it's good psychologically for you Redskin fans, because you can confine your disappointment to a 30-second increment. Congratulations to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's probably exactly. Right. Well, they did a little bit better this year. <laughs> uh, look, let's not talk about Jay Gruden. We could do that another day, okay? That would be fine. And RG3, we can also do that. Can so I should have sing Hail to the Redskins on this you podcast. Could. Probably you would be long cut off. After the first, second bar, you'll be long cut off. And nobody can hear it. I don't care where you think you are, Kyle. So the, the the final kind of issue on this is as the one of the smartest guys in the room with the smartest company in the room, do you, do you feel uh, uh, excessively challenged by the, the uh, confusing maelstrom that is the combination of media rights today and the technology platforms? It, back in a simpler day, I guess more people could participate because it required less entrepreneurial skills to navigate. I assume things are much more much more challenging today, but you also get uh, more rewarded. How do you feel about all that? Well, media rights are, I mean, from a fan perspective, you know, just explaining NFL media rights and where to watch the game at 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock or Sunday night or Monday 
Monday evening. I mean, you have to get trained to figure out where to go. So blackouts, fans really don't like. Um, what channel is it on? Fans really don't like. What website do I go to to find the app? Fox is different than CBS. It's different than NBC. So sports rights are very expensive. There's nobody can afford to buy them all. You know, just buy all the NBA or NFL rights is a pretty pretty big number. The fragmentation creates challenges for the viewer to find the game. But from a technology standpoint, you know, the world's gotten flat with the Internet. So being able to deliver a UFC fight in 200 countries, take a local currency, handle a local payment, connect directly with the viewer, the tech has made that simpler. But uh, you're right, the fragmentation of sports and uh, where to find it, you know, New Lion's not curing that, but we certainly are making it easier to deliver the event. New Line may not be curing that, but they're curing a whole lot of other things. Chris Wagner, co-founder of New Line, thanks for everything and all you do in the industry. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrell. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hopte. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.